0: To the Cat Who Did a podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf Terry, and
1: Luke Romsdorf Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it.
0: On today's episode, we're talking about the 18th book in the series, The Cat Who Said
1: Cheese. Cheese. <laughs> now, this is published again in uh, 1996 97 for hardback and paperback. Correct. And the audiobook, I see that your note here. It's widely available.
0: Yes, you've got not only the abridged version, you've got the main version, and then um, and and then you also have it in a couple of different formats. You hmm. not only have the official version, there are a couple of uh, ripped versions. This book is very very popular.
1: Ripped versions. What do you mean by that?
0: Meaning you can find some uh, not legally. Uh, <laughs> some not legally obtained by, one
1: by a guest author or a guest reader of some kind
0: no somebody just uh somebody just took the uh the main audiobook format and put it in a uh, in a free form, in a free file
1: ah well i have certainly never done anything like that nothing. myself nothing
0: of that not but at all. usually it's not quite this easy to find <laughs> but like i said this book is really popular
1: clearly now this one is also uh <laughs> as we have done with the past couple of ones we're going to talk pretty in depth about it as obviously but this one's going to be special. Well, not special, but just I think more interesting because food plays quite a big part in this one.
0: It really does. Um, so, one interesting note: I'm still using my uh, original 1996 paperback, mm. um, or 1997 paper- paperback. Let's be honest. Um, and I noticed something funny when I looked at, when I compared uh, the cat who blew the whistle and the cat who said cheese, and that is that the font size is significantly smaller in the cat who said cheese, but the page count is fifty is fifty pages less.
1: Huh. Interesting. So not
0: quite sure what the goal was there, but...
1: Do they have the thing where they take it, like, when there's chapter breaks, the numbers are bigger, there's a lot more pause going around to kind of save space that way? Or? I
0: wasn't totally sure. It was just, but it was a huge difference in the, in the font size, um, which was funny. Um, mm. Also, as you mentioned, this book is all about food, and that made it really hard to summarize because I kept <laughs> getting hungry... <laughs>
1: So, words <laughs> the wise aside from spoilers, if you have not had a you will you it, we rec- having a dinner or maybe if you're listening to this grab a snack.
0: Yep, grab a snack for, while you're listening to this because by the time I finish you're
1: going to be hungry again. <laughs> and just so happens that we have a copy now of the Cat Who Cookbook.
0: Yes, and this is the biggest section in there. Unsurprising. Oh, yeah, There's makes sense. Just a ton of food mentioned.
1: Wonderful. Well, let's let's dive right in and get Absolutely. hungry. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So after years of complaining about their substandard restaurants, Pickaxe is finally welcoming new tastes and celebrating them with a the first food expo. There is also a mystery woman who's checked into the new Pickaxe Hotel, last remodeled in 1935, who is causing lots and lots of gossip. And in Pickaxe, that's saying something.
1: Now I'm have to stop you. It's an expo as opposed to an expo. Yes. What's the difference?
0: I couldn't tell you.
1: <laughs> but it's just <laughs> the, called an exploit. It's called an
0: explo. I guess because it's not like people are. It, it's not an exposition in people are coming to something that's temporarily set up, mm-hmm. which is what I would think of as an exposition mm-hmm. um, versus an explow it's a food explosion these are actually um permanent and because these are all permanent new restaurants that are sure. coming into pickaxe and they have managed to convince them to all open at the same time
1: to have an explosion, explosion of new food of new food there I, you go
0: that's the best that's my best guess
1: i think the taste of colorado should now be called the Expo of colorado <laughs> the forward. colorado
0: food explow well again but that would be an expo because that's all temporary
1: okay okay Fair enough, that's a very good point.
0: Anyway. Quill and the cats are happily in residence back at the barn. Cool. Yum Yum has changed her mind and decided she's pref- she'd prefer a single plate again after demanding her own in the previous book. <laughs> cats will be cats. Um, so on this lovely morning, Quill is attempting to write his column, but he keeps getting interrupted with phone calls. First from Junior, asking him to attend a meeting at the Something, his lawyer reporting at the, the annual meeting of the K-Fun board in Chicago, and Polly, who updates on her recovery. Remember, she had a heart attack at the end of the previous book and yes. had to be flown to Minneapolis for emergency surgery. And finally, from Bushy. Who wants to once again try and photograph the cats for another calendar competition.
1: This has been going on for a while. Yep. Trying to photograph these poor cats. Yes, he
0: does eventually succeed, but not in this book. Mm-hmm. Um so Quill finally deals with the calls finishes his column and heads off to Lois's lunch net uh for pie before heading to off to the something offices for ju- for Junior's meeting. Mm-hmm. He gets updates on Lois's son and his girlfriend who both work at the hotel, the new Pickaxe Hotel, which is the only hotel in town by the way. Um <laughs> and they both work there even though the owner doesn't pay benefits. This is listening to uh, this is listening to Lois rant a rant and rave about it. Mm. And after that, he heads off to the something where the staff is speculating on who the mystery woman might be, capping off with Hixie's theory that she's the secret girlfriend of the hotel owner, eighty-year-old recluse Gustav Limburger. <laughs> anyway, Dwight Summers arrives to hype the up upsc- the upcoming expo, and Quill decides to try to interview Mister Limburger for plot reasons and because also he's incurably nosy. Well,
1: oh, Gustav, you old dog, you. <laughs>
0: so before heading home quill stops by ed's edition to pick up some reading material for polly and he while he's there he picks up this book on cheese making that came from a dairy farm and has acquired a certain odor <laughs> uh cats <laughs> are not impressed it's pervasive and he ends up having to leave it in the storage shed um before finally uh. having to put it in a plastic a sealed plastic bucket for uh, mr odell to dispose of
1: this um, just have a quick I, I can understand and sympathize with the scent the smell because at one point the theater that we used to work at uh, had a kitchen right next to the theater, and there was a cheese making class in there the day before. And it smelled like gym socks. <laughs> To the point where we did not have concessions next door, in the kitchen. We had to do them in the hallway because no, and people would walk by the bathrooms, which were right by the kitchen, holding their noses. Oh, so yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't, my, it wasn't good cheese. I'll just say that. Yeah. It's either really bad, it's either really bad meat or really good cheese. Anyway.
0: You know, <laughs> we can talk about cheese making later, but uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so back to this. Uh, after uh, dealing with the cheese book, uh, Quill preps for his visit <laughs> to Polly by reading about the Explo. Um, which will center on a new shopping center called Stable Row because it used to be the 10 cent barn in downtown Pickaxe. Uh, the new restaurants will feature a soup bar, a pasty parlor, the Scottish Bakery, mm. a wine and cheese shop, an ice cream parlor, health food store, and a kitchen boutique. Now, this is huge for Pickaxe, which has previously gotten by pretty much with Tools Market uh, and the Landspeak department store. And then there's the tourist shops in Mooseville. They really haven't had any specialized food, and the only restaurant really, the only restaurants really in downtown are Lois's Luncheonette and the Old Stone Mill. Mm -hmm. Everything else you have to drive out of town for. So this is a huge boost for downtown.
1: The the out of town restaurant I'm thinking of is the one at the hotel, isn't it? Or
0: Uh, there are several. You've got the Northern Lights Hotel. You've got Tipsy's Tavern. Tipsy's Tavern. Uh, Yeah, that's up in Kennebec. Um, Right. Yeah, so every town's got their own little... So nice to
1: have something local and in the
0: town. And with some variety. Good. Um, So the expo will also feature cooking classes, a bake-off, and a celebrity dinner date auction, which of course Quill will grudgingly agree to be part of. (laughs) Polly is now living with her sister-in-law, Lynette, while she recovers from her heart attack in a hitherto unmentioned part of Pickaxe, Pleasant Street. Uh, it's a street full of Victorian gingerbread houses that will play a big part in the next book. Mm. But for right now, it's a uh, it's a lovely old historical house, and while Polly is there, she's jumping on the hospital dietitian's recommendations with zeal, um, but then mentions that she's received some gourmet mushroom soup from a woman named Elaine Fetter, who mm. is a constant volunteer, and she grows her own mushrooms. Now, much like the late Irma Hasselrich, um, Elaine does very good works, but is not well-liked and is considered a snob. Oh. Um Once again, for her uh, domineering manner and uh, sophisticated style of dress.
1: Snobs do not do well in Moose County.
0: Well, not if they think you're a snob. You're allowed to be a snob as long as you're their kind of snob. <laughs> now, unlike Irma, however, Elaine loves having her name in the paper, so Quill plans to interview her about gourmet cooking for the Quill Pen. Hmm. Um, once again, we're back at Lois's luncheonette to grab a bite to eat before heading to Black Creek to interview Gustav Limburger. And we learned at one point that Limburger actually asked Lois to marry him and run his mansion as a boarding house. Oh! She told him off and he left without paying and has never been back. Granted, this was in the day when you could when uh, for 95 cents, you could get uh, a full breakfast and he'd leave her in he's uh, leave her a five cent tip.
1: <laughs> and you can go to town on a five cents. Oh
0: yes. <laughs> um, Lois then also mentions her son again. Uh, her son's name is Lenny. And the last name is Inchpot, which will be an interesting thing to...
1: Lenny Lynchpot.
0: Inchpot. Inchpot. No, not Lynchpot. That, that's a whole different story. I, saying um, is
1: like that, well, that's we had tone deaf in the last book. There that's, you go. It wouldn't no, no, no. Me no, no, no. There's some more in Lenny this. Lenny
0: Inchpot. Inchpot. Um, Much better. Uh, she talks about her son who's studying restaurant management at the new community college, MCCC, mm. uh, and how he hopes right. that one day he's going to manage the new Pickaxe Hotel. Which is a stupid notion, so Lois thinks because oh well <laughs> Lois has been Lois has been working in the food service business for thirty years and thinks that her son should probably do something a little better than that. Aww. Also, Lenny's been annoying and trying to tell her all the things that she's been doing wrong, as you tend to do when you start learning new methods. Um, for, and try and talk to somebody who's been doing this who's been doing it
1: successfully for thirty years. We've all taken a philosophy one oh one class. Yep.
0: Well, actually no, I never have. <laughs>
1: one. I mistakenly suddenly... dated
0: someone who didn't. That was a horrible experience. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so we get out to Black Creek and we have Mr. Limburger, who is a painfully taciturn interviewee. One word answers, nothing, nothing impressive, until a dog appears on the front steps of his mansion, which so enrages him that he attempts to chase it down the crumbling steps of said mansion, and he falls, injuring himself severely. Hmm. Uh, he instructs Quill to get the man, and Quill then meets Aubrey Scotton, who is Lindberger's man of all work, who calls 911. Uh, Aubrey talks Quill's ear off, confer- uh, in in contrast to uh, Mr. Lindberger, uh, while the emergency services tend to Lindberger and uh, take him away to the hospital. Aubrey's parents, as we learn, own Scotton Fisheries, and Aubrey looks to be in his mid-twenties, but his hair is snow white. Hmm. While not being Limburger's man of all work, he tends to his hives and produces honey, and is supposed to start work soon as a maintenance engineer at the revamped turkey farm. So beekeeper and maintenance engineer. Um,
1: Cool. Two handy fields to be a part of.
0: Indeed. And Quill thinks the bees might actually make for a good Quill pen column, and so he arranges oh. another interview, finally stunning Aubrey into silence. <laughs> um, Aubrey, by the way, at this point, is starting to re- to resemble Aunt Fanny's man-of-all-work, Tom, except that Aubrey can't seem to stop talking where Tom was quiet until the very end. <laughs> but again, that that same can fix anything. Um, not quite all there. And, and I think Tom... Well, Tom was never described as having the white hair, but it was definitely the uh you know something traumatic had happened to him
1: where he was yeah like you said not not quite all there and a bit deficient
0: yes you know aubrey aubrey has has many great qualities but um, it's something is definitely twinged with him we learn a little bit about that later um so it turns out that Nick Bamba is now taking over management of the turkey farm after losing the B and B on Breakfast Island. Um, well, as long as he can still quit his unrewarding prison job for an unrewarding job in turkey management. Well,
1: um, so you gotta gotta pay the bills somehow. Gotta
0: pay the bills somehow. So he's off doing. He's running the turkey farm, and Lori Bamba is now uh, opening that new restaurant on Stable Row. Because heaven forbid she stay home and and rest for a few
1: minutes. Um, she
0: is opening the Spoonery, which specializes in soups and stews. So here's looking, hoping that things are looking up for the Bombas after uh, uh, the disaster of Breakfast Stew flutes
1: all around.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Quill gets nosy about Aubrey's qualifications as a maintenance engineer so he calls Nick to see if he's actually up to the job. It turns out Aubrey is a mechanical genius who can fix pretty much anything so Nick feels very lucky to get him on staff and and Quill is is chagrined enough to stop talking about it. Well good. (laughs) Agreed. So we get home and Coco is antsy and Quill takes it to mean that he'd like to go to Mooseville Cabin to roll on the concrete patio. I don't really know how he gets that (laughs) <laughs> from Quil, from Coco being antsy, but apparently that's something they'd done a lot this summer after discovering that Coco liked to roll in the cement um, that was Polly's, formerly Polly's garage that had a dead body. I was going to
1: say, this is hopefully without the dead body. Uh, Some presumably, sort of without,
0: presumably without the dead body. But when they arrive, Quill discovers that the hotel mystery woman has found her way to his stretch of beach. Mm. Now, for a busybody like Quill, this is a huge get, and he intends to make the most of it. Turns on the charm, discovers that her name is Onush, and that her long hair hangs in her face to hide a rather serious scar that runs from her ear to her chin on one side of her face. Mm. So something's not good there. Glasgow Um, smile. She's complimentary of the cats and has apparently been trying to teach the chef at the uh, hotel how to not overcook his vegetables. Um, So clearly she has very good intentions, at least as far as Quill's concerned. She mentions finding her way to pickaxe after spending her honeymoon there years ago, although she's not married now. I know it's all for plot development, but I really can understand people just opening up to Quill. He does really have a gift for seeing interested when he wants to.
1: Hmm. It is interesting. So,
0: so we've been sitting. We've been talking with Onush. It's a very nice, charming thing. And then she mentions cooking Mediterranean food. And Quill's taste buds go on high alert. <laughs> he remembers eating meatballs in little green kimonos, a.k.a. stuff, which are stuffed vine leaves. Hmm. Um, Funny thing, this is a great way to search for reviews of this book because everyone comments on this phrasing. Um, it literally, if you type in meatballs and little green kimonos, you will come up with a million reviews of this book.
1: I can't imagine that would be a phrase that would be commonly used for something else or another recipe. So it would be very, especially that description.
0: Exactly. Um, We never uh, we we at this point don't learn uh, Onusha's last name, but she's um, but she very kindly after hearing this description offers to make a batch um, and sends Quill to the store for meat and rice and a few other ingredients. Because she happened to spot that wild in the backyard um, were some wild grape leaves and some wild mint. Hmm. So she doesn't need too much else to do these. Um, Hugely trusting of Quill to leave her at the cabin with the cats, but food is involved. So his judgment isn't his best. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he decides that he doesn't trust the meat in Mooseville for some reason, so he drives all the way back to Pickaxe, and then gets snimy trying to decide what rice to buy. He runs into the aforementioned gourmet, Elaine Fetter, who helps him select the correct rice for meatballs, and as he's thanking her, there is a huge boom from nope. Main Street. Oh no. It's assumed that it's construction-related, but as Quill is leaving the market, he learns that it's an explosion from the new Pickaxe Hotel, oh. and that someone's been killed. <sighs> According to Fran Brody, it looks like the homemade bomb was placed in the mystery woman's room. Oh, no. The name of the dead person hasn't been released yet, and Quill heads back to Mooseville to gauge Onush's reaction to the bombing. But Onush and her car are missing from the cabin when Quill arrives. The cats are fine, by the way.
1: Next question. Yep,
0: cats are fine. They were totally asleep. They didn't care. Um, (laughs) But the radio is blasting, so Quill assumes fairly correctly, that she heard the news on the radio and raced for the airport, uh, He, which he confirms when he gets to the airport that she just made the last flight out. But she left washed grape leaves on the counter and along with the mint. So she was in the middle of prepping food.
1: And then the explosion occurred. And then and the explosion hmm. occurred.
0: So Quill briefly does wonder if she could have planted the bomb, but things just don't quite up, add up for that conclusion. So he's off to solve the other another mystery. The game's afoot. Indeed it is. Um, Quill heads to Lois's, of course, for the latest gossip on the bombing. And it's not good. Well, Um,
1: there's not going to be good gossip from a bombing. I I don't think that you would.
0: But it's specifically not good here. Lois's son, Lenny, was injured in the blast, and his girlfriend, Anna Marie, was the only casualty. Oh, God. She was on maid duty outside the room when the bomb exploded.
1: Oh.
0: Saddened, Quill goes to talk to Polly and Lynette about the news and learns that Elaine Fetter had called Polly to get Quill's meatball recipe for a cookbook that she's putting together. Hmm. Um, Thinking fast, Quill claims that it's because Celia makes a special meatball for Wrigley, the cat, which, of course, she can't share because she's planning to start a catering business and wants to keep her recipes exclusive. (laughs) Very fast-thinking, Quill. Then, of course, he calls Celia to warn her about this, and she's, of course, immediately on board with the fib. She's wonderful that way. Once that is settled, he calls Andrew Brody at home to invite him to the bar, and so Quill can dramatically reveal what he's learned after spending the afternoon with the mystery woman, a.k.a. Onouche. So Brody originally assumes, like Quill, that she might have had something to do with the bomb. He quickly agrees that it's probably more likely that she figured out the bomb was meant for her and then ran from whoever planted it. Hmm. This becomes especially apparent when Brody tells Quill about a man who arrived at the hotel with flowers and a wrapped package for Ona Dolman, which is the name that Anoush was registered under, mm-hmm. and insisted on putting them in her room himself.
1: Oh, that's not suspicious at all.
0: Bad plan all around. But Lenny Inchpot, again Lois's son, is not the brightest or most law-abiding bulb in the box. He decides it can't hurt to let him leave a gift in her room. Um, but fortunately, at this point, Lenny is cooperating with the police to get a sketch of the barn. All the while, Quill is slowly getting Brody addicted to high-quality cheese from the Sip and Nibble, which is the new cheese shop. Sips and n- Sip and nibble. <laughs> and when he mentions Gruyere, Coco howls. Oh. Coco also, by the way, has been stalking Yum Yum before chasing her around the barn's balcony, so something is definitely afoot, although... Quill doesn't quite know why yet.
1: Oh, Gruyere.
0: Gruyere. And Ow.
1: then, and then <laughs> yow.
0: <laughs> so in the morning, Quill heads to the library to quickly research some beekeeping before he interviews Aubrey, and we of course find Homer Tippet, ah, who catches us up, us up on the history of the Limburger clan. After running a profitable, read exploitative uh, series of rooming houses, they all burn down <laughs> one by one, except the hotel booze, and until recently, the new X Hotel. Mm. Um, family all died in the 1918 flu epidemic, except for Gustav, uh, who went to Germany for a period of time and came back very quiet and didn't want to talk to anybody. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, currently is, by the way, Limburger is still in the hospital with a host of age-re- age-related ailments, which Homer says is to be expected of a man his age. Homer, by the way, is 15 years his senior. I was going to say,
1: Homer's uh, not a spring chicken himself. Yes,
0: 95 to uh, Limburger's 80. Jeez.
1: May we all be as spry as Homer one day.
0: Uh, great. Um So after that, Quill heads out to interview Aubrey and stops by the hotel booze first to chat with Gary Pratt. Gary also saw Anoush during her time in Pickaxe. He saw her at the hotel booze dining with a man in a very good suit, which makes you look like FBI in the middle of Burr, by the way. Um, (laughs) And they apparently had an intense conversation, and Gary floats the idea of possibly an an insurance scam by the Lockmaster Property Company that runs the hotel for Lindberger. Mm. Apparently, they've been trying to get him to sell the hotels for years, and now that it's been bombed, he might be more willing to sell at their price. Uh So that's Gary's theory. Um, Gary also has more information on Aubrey. His hair is white from an accident in the Navy when he got hit on the head and fell overboard and nearly died. Uh, He survived, obviously, but with a complete personality change. Hmm. Um, He used to be a a bully, but now he wouldn't hurt a fly and wasn't very mechanical before, but now he can fix anything. Just don't ask him to go sailing. Apparently water gives him the screaming memes, as uh, Gary (laughs) describes it. Or ask him about his accident. See, so, you know, apparently somebody wanted to come up and study his brain and his family kind of said, nope, not happening.
1: So what happened
0: then? Hmm. I mean it's as it was. so whatever happened the brain is a miraculous thing but
1: it, but so, something it, something is happening to protect him or to just have that defense mechanism exactly. up or understand oh, intro so now with this oh, inter-
0: information uh, cool goes off to interview him about his honeybees <laughs> um, the interview is very strange it's a mix of information about honeybees they prefer apple blossoms because they have more sugar they don't like wool clothing honey apparently flat bottles make honey look lighter Lindberger, who apparently eats butter and white sugar for dessert, or you know his whole meal,
1: butter and white sugar.
0: Yes, like eating butter, like taking a scoop of butter and eating it. Same with the white sugar. Uh, um,
1: so not mixed together. So no. Oh, okay. Not that mixed together would be better, but no. At least you can. I can kind of justify that, no. or at least try to do some yes. mental gymnastics to yes, justify that. It, but
0: as Aubrey put it, made me sick. Would <laughs> I? I'm right there with you, Aubrey. I'm with,
1: yeah. No, that's ugh. Yes.
0: Now, bees seem to like Aubrey. He's never been stung, which may be attributed to his odd kind of high-pitched voice at this point, as well as his very gentle demeanor. Quill's fascinated by the, process, uh, by the process of collecting honey and buys a few jars to take home. Now, unfortunately, despite very carefully placing them in his car so they won't tip, they fall. They somehow fall out of the car and smash on the pavement when he stops at Toodle's Market.
1: Hmm, that. Is he trying to juggle them while he's unpacking the car? I don't
0: It should be mentioned that, by the way, Quill could just buy a few more jars because Aubrey sells his honey at Toodles.
1: (laughs) So we can get, not necessarily go straight to the source, but if they're there, just pick up a couple more
0: bottles. Just pick up up a couple more. Yeah. Um, This is really, by the way, this book is really a full introduction to Toodles Market, which has kind of been mentioned in passing, but. You, but this is what really gives us an idea of it's it's family run by led by Mrs. Toodle and her various children and grandchildren. <laughs> um, very much a family business. Mm-hmm. Um, when the glass shatters in the parking lot, of course, Mrs. Toodle immediately has uh, all of the children on it because, of course, you don't want to leave glass in a parking lot.
1: No, Exactly. Car could run over it, or car could run yeah. over
0: it. Dog could lick it. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Lots and lots. Little of kid can run around, and pick it up. There's a whole exactly. bunch of stuff like that. So
0: they so. they absolutely clean everything up for um, it's full service, <laughs> which is lovely. <laughs> Um, so once it's all been cleaned up, Quill goes to buy flowers for Polly and walk, as he calls it, the information hide- highway, which is also known as Main Street and Pickaxe. <laughs> we run into Wendell McWannel, uh, who's the CPA who used to do Gustav Lindberger's taxes until they had a mutual parting of the ways. Who fired whom is not known. <laughs> and then Quill runs into Mitch Ogilvie, whom we haven't heard of in a very long time. See, it's, yeah. You have, you, you have to remember all the way back to the cat who talked to ghosts.
1: It was that long ago? It was that
0: long ago that we've heard from Mitch. Uh, Ooh, Mitch wow. took over the Goodwinter Farmhouse Museum uh, and is still dating Christy Fugtree. Um, yeah, she doesn't go by Fugtree. I'm we just,
1: haven't heard from Christy either in a nope. while.
0: Um He, but Mitch has now left the museum and now is making cheese full time from Christy's goat milk. Um, he's also, uh-huh. but prior to that, remember, Mitch used to manage the Pickaxe Hotel. Okay. Going back far, so you know, as he's chatting with Quill, he's like, "Well, you know, I'd rather be a goat farmer than managing the Pickaxe Hotel these days." Um,
1: well, who wouldn't?
0: Who wouldn't? Um, Quill, of course, <laughs> offers to interview him and and Christy for the Quill pen in the two part ways with uh, with plans to do that on Sunday. And then, of course, we run into Susan Exbridge, who's uh-huh. arranging her window display, which who suggests a new home for Polly in Indian Village. Um, although there's apparently a, a line between the birders and the bridge players that shall never be crossed. <laughs> um Quill enjoys seeing the new Iris Cobb collection that Susan has put together, including the old school desk that used to be Homer Tibbetts, mm-hmm. and he buys a cheese basket and a sea chest. Although he notes to himself that Iris would have given him a deeper discount than Susan does.
1: Um, now what is a sea chest?
0: A sea chest is an, is an old wooden uh, chest that is somewhat waterproof that would have been taken to sea by a, uh, by a sailor.
1: So something you would put like a water a document that needed to be waterproof yes. in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. See when you said it was uh, a sea chest and you were also you said cheese beforehand. Mm-hmm. A che- oh, a cheese basket. My mind was like, "Oh, a basket of cheese," and then a sea chest, which is going to be like maybe an assortment of cheese that are made at sea. I don't know. So, Interesting thought. I didn't know um, it was something practical. You know?
0: Yeah. No. It, but well, the whole point of the uh, of the sea chest for Quill is that because it's waterproof, he can leave it out on his back porch, right? And have Celia deliver uh, put place deliveries of mac and cheese and various other
1: things, right? Inside. And then the rain won't get there, and it's exactly. not going to be, get wet. No, exactly. So it's. Again, a practical thing. A
0: practical thing. And the cheese basket less practical, but and you know.
1: My chunky self immediately went to food and like, oh, is that a cheese made in the ocean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he notes that when uh, Susan references dear Iris and gives Quill a, a discount um, of, I think, ten percent. <laughs> um, Quill notes that Iris, dear Iris, would have either given it to him for free or uh, given him a much deeper discount than Susan does. <laughs> It's also mentioned that there is still no sign of Iris's cookbook, which also going back to the catadact ghost mm-hmm. was yes. left to quill in Iris's will, despite, no and this one is, knowing to, where it was. no one knows where it was, despite pleas to the 75 museum volunteers for its return. Mm-hmm. And finally Quill makes it to the flower shop where he scorns the offered vintage burgundy mums because they look like dried blood, blood <laughs> and our mums. Um, and he purchases some daisies for Polly. She likes daisies. Oh, well, good. It's very nice. Um, and of course, he noses around to see if there's any more information about the man who planted the bomb, because he uh, because that said man bought flowers to go with his quote-unquote gift. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, the clerk waiting on Quill didn't wait on the bomber, so it's back to the barn to feed the cats, and then off to Pleasant Street to deliver Polly's daisies in time for her very first walk since her surgery, which goes well. Wonderful. She's really recovering very, very well. Good. Um the next morning quill has the land speaks over for coffee after church and they introduce him to two newcomers to town jay willard and daniel and danielle carmichael <laughs> whom the cats harass until quill banishes them to the broom closet they like jay willard by the way they just don't like danielle <laughs> um and uh they've and carol brings some Quill some vintage burgundy mums from Ooh. her garden. <laughs> this is a th- this is a running thing with these damn mums. um somehow Around this, this 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 lovely coffee time, um, they managed to talk Quill into having his barn be the location for a three hundred dollar a ticket black tie cheese kit tasting fundraiser. Now this can't possibly go wrong. Oh
1: no, not, not at, all. at all. No,
0: especially when they want the cats to be
1: present. Oh, this is well. Of Just, course, everything's going to go smoothly without a hitch, and it's going to be a wonderful book in the end. <laughs>
0: After making those promises, Quill heads off to interview Mitch Ogilby about goats about goat's milk cheese making. Um, unfortunately, Christy is showing showing a couple of her goats in Kansas that weekend and can't be and can't be with them. But the interview goes very well, and um, we get to see that the Fug Tree ancestral home, which if you if anybody remembers back to again the cat who uh, the cat who talked to ghosts. Um, was crowded with Chrissy's mother's antiques and uh, had a, the ghost of a woman who threw herself off the tower um, after finding de- oh, out she's pregnant from the mm. man that her father won't let her marry.
1: That's right.
0: So the Tree Ancestral Home has gotten a very nice upgrade now that they've sold most of the antiques and painted the interior so no more ghostly visitors during storms,
1: <laughs> which is really
0: lovely. What's lovelier is that Quo goes home with a basket full of cheese samples. And Ooh. lucky man, because I love goat's milk cheese.
1: Goat's milk cheese is very tasty. So lucky lucky man.
0: (laughs) The next day is Anna Marie's funeral and Quill stops by the something office to see how it's being handled. And if they have a new, any new information, none, except that apparently the hotel chef named Carl Oscar, who got briefly mentioned in an earlier book and was friendly with Onush. Remember she was trying to teach him how to not overcook the vegetables. vegetables. He took off just after the bomb went off. Um, Junior hopes that he's gone back to Massachusetts where he came from.
1: Uh, stay in Massachusetts yes, please.
0: buddy um, <laughs> Quill then picks up his fan mail from the new office manager at something Sarah Plensdorf Yes, fan yes mail. he gets fan mail my god Sarah Plenstorf, by the way, is a huge fan of his. Uh, she crochets catnip toys for the Siamese and always has something nice to say about his column. And Quill gets teased about his office romance because Sarah is
1: older and has never married. I want to point out that in the notes, Susan wrote down HUGE in all capitals with at least four
0: U's. So. <laughs> HUGE. Yeah. Sarah is an interesting character that we meet in this book and she kind of um, runs throughout the next couple of books um we had never met her before she's
1: she's actually quite delightful so we see her more often than just this one that's good good. she's not
0: a one time she is not a one trick pony good um from there quill goes to the library and when he does not find homer Tibbet there um because it's raining he offers to run some books by and homer requests the Plensdorf file which means we're about to get the lowdown on sarah's family per homer um (laughs) we don't actually unfortunately but it's what it sounded like when i was first writing this um uh, before that, uh, we get a lowdown on the history of moose of the Moose County food, including that staple, the pasty, which rhymes with nasty in case you're a quote-unquote greenhorn from down below a la Homer. <laughs> um, this is filled with, and this is very specific, it's filled with diced meat and potatoes, not ground meat, uh, and rutabagas or turnips served in a folded suet and lard dough crust. The classic take is not being practiced at the new pasty par- uh, pasty restaurant, the Pasty Parlor, which is not to be confused with the nasty pasty, still in operation in Mooseville, uh, on Stable
1: and, Row, and not to be confused with the nasty pat with the nasty patty in episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. There you
0: go. So the Pasty Parlor on Stable Row is uh, is managed by two. It's a two piece i know with it is managed by two people who want to expand horizons with their multiple crust and filling options
1: ooh
0: um quill gets home to a message from sarah however informing him that he has had an express mailed letter at the newspaper office that's a sign of the times um <laughs> which he immediately goes back out to retrieve it's from onush who apparently is on the run from someone who has tried to kill her many many times which explains the scar on her face ooh she signs her full name, and no wonder she knows about meatballs and little green kimonos because her last name is Domatakia. Ah, <laughs> just the actual name for the oh. for the stuffed grape leaves. Um, now Quill understands what Coco's been trying to tell him by stalking Yum Yum, and his mustache is in full on twitch mode. Mm-hmm. So he reports the letter to Brody, and then heads home to to prepare for his latest something assignment. Mildred Hanstable Riker's cooking class for men.
1: <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. I can just imagine. Poor, poor Brody. Whenever he sees Quill come in, it's just, oh, God, what now? Who's <laughs> died now? Who's, di- what, what'd what you do?
0: Yes, but always in that lovely Irish brogue.
1: Oh, yeah, what'd you do there? What'd you do, Quill?
0: Yep. <laughs> All right, so the cooking class for men is the first of many events that Quill uh, has somewhat reluctantly agreed to take part in over the weekend of the expo. Uh,
1: so, and including also the contest as yes. well. Yes, the... <laughs>
0: so he will attend this cooking class. He will j- be uh, a judge for the pasty bake-off. And he will be, of course, auctioned off in the Celebrity Dinner Date Auction. (laughs) It should be mentioned, fortunately, he's not participating in the fundraising bike race, uh, too, although he is sponsoring several bikers. (laughs) Mildred has wisely chosen turkey as her first dish for this cooking class. Mm. Not only does this support the local turkey farm, but apparently Thanksgiving is only a few weeks away, so of course everyone wants to figure this out before then. Of course. As a side note, it is thanks to this book (laughs) and this course that I first learned how to cook a turkey. I do things a little bit differently these days, but I always remember make and Mildred making the class promise to never thaw a turkey at room temperature.
1: And just for the listening audience at home, my wife did raise her right hand, <laughs> taking the oath there. <laughs> she raised a hand <laughs> taking the to oath take,
0: to take that oath yeah
1: her her left my right there anyway you go. um now a, a question for just real quick to, the, the, with the cooking book is the turkey recipe in the cooking book yes that we got it is far?
0: along with the uh, along with the rice stuffing that they use
1: oh is there anything special about how she cooks the turkey
0: um she does it classically with uh, with multiple bastings. Gotcha. Which uh, I which I have done and have had very great success. Minus the fact that you know it means that you're tied to the oven for four hours.
1: I will say that the method that we've been using for the past couple of years with the bacon on top. Yes,
0: yes, breast this, side uh, up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now we uh, now we bacon wrap our turkey. <laughs> it's delicious.
1: <laughs> the, the gravy, especially. Oh yeah. Anyway, continuing on. Sorry. Right. So, Mildred's um, so cooking class. The and- nice
0: thing about this is the class lasts long enough. Um, Now, number one, um, of course, they have a bird that's ready to come out at the end of class so you can taste it. Um, And then Mildred, uh, of course, tells Quill to stick around because that means he can take home leftovers for
1: cooking Ooh, thank you, Mildred.
0: Indeed. And then a slightly weird thing happens. Nick Bama (laughs) delivers a frozen turkey to Quill's barn and leaves it in the sea chest, as mentioned, um, that is now used for deliveries. Figuring that now he's been educated by Mildred, Quill puts the bird in the fridge to defrost, good man, uh, (laughs) thinking he'll impress everyone if he actually manages to cook it. He would be right. Mm -hmm. Um, The next day, the the something features their very first food forum featuring (laughs) fake letters made up by Quill and Hixie to inspire readers to send in their own questions. Their reasoning is no one wants to be first. Um, so Quill does submit a poem under his own name. And this is another great tribute to uh, Lillian Jackson Braun's poetry background, with the added benefit of teaching people how to pronounce various cheese names. <laughs> and I wrote this down because I think it's, it's actually one of my favorites. Please. So this is, this is Quill's ch- poem to cheese. I think that I shall never see a better cheese than one called Brie. My brother goes for Danish blue. My boss is mad for Port du Salut. Some folks in pickaxe all declare the tops and cheese is Camembert. To each his own. But as for me, I cast my vote for creamy brie.
1: <laughs> yeah. All cheese should be explained with a poem.
0: It's true. And then after that, we get the official opening of stable row, which goes off very well with one exception. Well, actually too but the the big one um <laughs> is that there is actually a pasty protest oh, God. against the modern ingredients in the pasties at the pasty parlor and their front window is broken in the scuffle there's a
1: fight over this there
0: is, they break the window of the pasty parlor oh my um as gary pratt kind of puts it nice kids but they don't know pasties from pizza <laughs> um Quill is thinking at this point that the K-Fund really needs to have some locals screen some of these ideas beforehand so this mm. doesn't happen again. Because what sounds like a great idea in Chicago might not fly 400 miles north of everywhere. Oh, no. Um, which is another thing important about, you know, what the K-Fund is doing. It's really, it, it's kind of this magical fund that L- Lillian jackson Braun has invented Um to modernize a small town without losing any of the of the uh, of the rustic charm, mm-hmm. so it's very interesting to hear that how this works. Oh, sure. Um, but another casualty of the expo is Lois's luncheonette. Oh no! She's closed the luncheonette and heads to her sisters in Duluth, figuring that the stable row restaurants will steal all of her customers. But there's one problem. Now there's no place to get breakfast. No.
1: Uh, well, that is just cannot stand. That uh, cannot
0: stand. And no. will not stand, thank goodness. Um, Quill comes home after this to find that Coco has uprooted some of the, the mums that the Landspeaks brought him. Oh, no. Which, as we mentioned, were in vintage burgundy. Mm-hmm. And that, it's the, no the, great. The burgundy
1: red. Yes, yes. Vintage
0: burgundy, yes. But oh, yes. it's no great loss because, well, mums. <laughs> um, but his mustache is still twitching. Coco is trying to tell him something, but, that's not, but he's still not getting it. WPKX report then announces on the 11 o'clock news that, the down, that a downtown merchant was killed during the fireworks finale of the Stable Row opening.
1: Uh-huh.
0: It's Franklin Pickett who owns the flower shop, hmm. and by the way, one of only two people who can identify the bomber.
1: Oh. Um,
0: ironically, he died clutching, clutching the um, vintage burgundy mums. <laughs> According to Brody.
1: He's buried. He's buried with those, damn, with those damn mums. Those damn mums. Poor guy. And
0: Coco is still howling at Greer. Mm. Lenny Inchpot, remember Lois' son, uh, mm-hmm. who is the only other person who could identify the bomber, is supposed to be riding in the bike race that ends the expo weekend. Quill's been sponsoring various cyclists and getting green pledge cards. Um, Lenny's card goes missing and uh, turns up in the foyer of the barn, well chewed. Now, at least it's not shredded. Remember June Mm -hmm. uh, from The Cat Who Came to Breakfast? yes. So my guess is that Coco is predicting injury, but not death. So a a step up. A step up. An improvement, yes. Quill passes this on to Brody, and they they kind of conspire to see if they can get Lenny off the bike race Mm. um, because something bad might happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, Quill heads off to judge the pasty bake-off with Mildred and supposedly the chef at the Old Stone Mill, but Derek turns up in his place because the chef slipped on a sun-dried tomato.
1: Which is a very common injury oh, in the totally. kitchen. That's it, I, It's ravaged many of chef friends that I know of.
0: Oh, indeed. So, Mildred is running this contest like a drill sergeant. She, <laughs> Quill, she and does. Derek are the last round of judging after crust and filling have eliminated most of the entries, <laughs> leaving them with only about 15 or so to taste out of the hundreds or so submitted entries. Hmm. In, in, you know, as, as a as a nod to Quill, there is a category for turnips in the filling and no turnips in the filling. So two winners will be chosen. <laughs> um, it's a historical contest. Contest. So Mildred's is on the lookout for anything that doesn't match a traditional pasty. No ground meat, no unallowed veggies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All goes well in the non-turnip category, but there is an imposter in the turnip category. Oh, no. Somebody snuck dark meat of turkey past the early round judges. <sighs> and Mildred furiously disqualifies it. Although, yes, she agrees with the men because it apparently it tastes so good. She agrees to find out who made it so they can be praised. They just don't get to win. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but unfortunately, they will have to wait to do that because all the contestants named are locked in the safe at Wendell McWendell's office, oh, which good. won't open till Monday. Oh, no! Not even for pasties. Oh, oh, oh. So we find out that later. Um, and then finally, that later that evening, we have the Celebrity Dinner Date Auction. <laughs> Quill is appropriately attired by Scotty's Men's Shop in a turtleneck. Apparently, since Van Brook came to town, turtlenecks have become more popular. Interesting. Well, all right. um, he finds out that Daniel Carmichael, who he's not a fan <laughs> of, um, is planning to bid on him per Fran Bodie, but only up to about $1,000. You
1: find someone who can do 1010
0: Yeah, Quill is beginning to wish that Polly was feeling better so he could rig the bidding. She bids, he pays. Um... <laughs> His package goes for over $1,500, and to his and everybody else's shock, the winner is Sarah Plensdorf. Really? They have a lovely dinner together. Turns out she has family money from a lumber fortune and collects buttons. (laughs) It also turns out she was one of the filling judges for the pasty bake-off, and she revealed that the pasty made with turkey was so good that they decided to rebel and pass it through to the final round. Turkey or
1: no? Turkey be damned.
0: (laughs) Turkey be damned. When something's that good, you gotta get it recognized. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a lovely little side, little sidebar. She also gives Quill um, a, an antique button with a cat's head on it, so he can add it to his collection. Oh, very nice. Um, now back to the mystery. The police have managed to convince Lenny to drop out of the bike race, so he won't be a target. And later that night, there's a report on WPKX of a fisherman found dead from bee stings.
1: Bee stings, you say?
0: Indeed, I do. Hmm. The victim is not local, for which everyone heaves a sigh of relief. <laughs> this point though something tells quill to go check on this person it's okay exactly Jeez. I, there, there's literally a description of because when somebody says because when the radio says not a resident of moose county quill has trained his ear to pick that up as not one of us
1: not one of the usual so yeah. we're not gonna have another uh, yes we're not gonna lose another character yeah we're not hands. gonna
0: lose another repeating character
1: Good.
0: um so quill goes to check on aubrey and finds him unusually quiet Hmm. Turns out the victim of the bee stings was a friend of his who had been borrowing his cabin home. Quill is sympathetic, but his twitching mustache tells him there is much, much more to this story. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, however, he has an interview to—he uh, has an appointment to interview Elaine Fetter about her homegrown shiitake mushrooms, highly exotic from Moose County. Mm. Uh, he arrives and she is apparently writing her own cookbook, plus, of course, supervising another cookbook to raise funds for the library. And Quill wonders, as one does, how much plagiarism there actually is between cookbook authors. She shows Quill her impressive mushroom-growing setup, which she sells to local restaurants, and Quill notes that the area is paved and ramped, as if to make it easier for a wheelchair to maneuver. Mm. Turns out, she's not the mushroom-grower. Her son, Donald, is. Donald is confined to a wheelchair after the accident that killed Elaine's husband several years before. The mushroom-growing is part of his therapy. Mm. And while Quill thinks this will make a better story than Elaine in her cookbook, he puts the idea on hold until he can learn more, which turns out to be a very good idea. Um, Because at this point, enter Celia Robinson, our favorite. Um, (laughs) Apparently, she's she's still working for Pals for Patients, and apparently Donald is a subscriber. And she often supervises junior pals who help with the heavy lifting of the mushroom logs. She claims that Donald and his mother don't get along, which is very believable since, you know, she didn't mention him at all during her interview with Quill. I was
1: going to say, this is the first time we've heard of him.
0: Exactly. Now, Quill has an idea that he needs Celia's help with. He thinks that he may have spotted Iris, Cobb, Iris Cobb's missing cookbook in Elaine Fetter's kitchen. Oh. Coco, by the way, is now yelling at Feta as well as Greer, so Quill is likely on the right track with her. <laughs> um, he's hoping that Celia can get a look at the notebook on her next visit and confirm if it actually is Iris's cookbook. And she's happy to go along for another mission for Chief
1: i'll get right on it chief
0: it's kind of delightful i love (laughs) what i love the interplay between quill and celia it's it's a wonderful friendship that quill does not have with as particularly does not have with many women um no very and it's a very it's a very unique
1: relationship in these books and i really love seeing it wonderful um it's nice especially too it's a it's so often a trope that is in a lot of fiction, I think, especially in this time period where it's a man and a woman. Oh, obviously there's going to have romantic feelings. There's going to be flirting. Not the case with these two.
0: Nope. They, and are, that's they are buds and it is really lovely.
1: We need more Ron and Leslie's and more uh, Jake's and Gina's. We need more kind of just that type of exactly. camaraderie between men and women.
0: Agreed. All right. So after after Celia is on her mission, uh, it's time to prepare for that black tie cheese tasting at the bar.
1: Black tie cheese.
0: Cheeses and punches are supplied by Jerry Sip and Jack Nibble, as they like to be called from the new cheese shop. And this is actually the first implied gay couple that we have seen in this series. Oh, oh, that's I mean,
1: incredibly wholesome. It's I adorable. Love it.
0: I mean, even as a teenager, I got that that was what this was. Um, But it's, you know, the first time that this has really been something that's implied and it's not made a big deal of, which I love. That's great. Um, This section is also responsible for my cheese, for expanding my cheese palette. Because there is a list of twenty cheeses from all over the world that I can confirm are all delicious. I used to work in a specialty wine and cheese store, oh, this, and I yes, would actually yes. and I actually took this took this list and went through the list to see if I could chase. I didn't the know cheeses. it
1: was a cheese store too. I knew I thought it was it was a winery. But... I worked
0: for a winery, and before that, I worked for a specialty wine oh, and cheese wine so and, so and cheese that's store.
1: Two different places. Two then. totally okay.
0: different places. Oh my! Because I worked at one is how I got the job at the other. I see. Um, So, Jerry and Jack are the ones who suggested letting the cats mingle at the party, and once again, I say, nothing could possibly go wrong with that
1: suggestion. Before we stop further, I just have to say, I really would kill for a plate of cheese right now. I should have had more snacks. All we have is Colby Jack and mild cheddar, so... Well, a
0: little bit of of blue cheese, but not enough.
1: But, yeah, whatever. So, we're gonna... There's gonna be cheese in our future anyway. I
0: I would have to agree. This (laughs) actually sounds really good right now. Um... (laughs) So Quill then reads the list of cheeses out loud to the cats, and Coco again howls at Gruyere, Feta, and now Brie. Oh, no. So we've got the Feta clue. Now to figure out the other two.
1: Oh, no.
0: And a small item in the something gives the hint that solves the Gruyere clue. The name of the friend who died at Aubrey's cabin is named Victor Greer. 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 Mm-hmm. Quill heads to the Limburger house to check on Aubrey and finds him in a really bad state. Quill has opened all his hive Aubrey has opened all his hives, dumped out all his honey, and is highly depressed and threatening suicide. Aww. At Aubrey's request, Quill though loads him into his car and takes him to the Scotten house so he can be with his mom, who mm-hmm. is advised to keep Aubrey's present a secret to avoid other nosy journalists. It doesn't count if it's Quill. <laughs> um, it should be noted, Ombre's mom is responsible for all the dang vintage Murgu- burgundy mums because she grows them commercially. <laughs> um, the baker of the turkey pasty is finally revealed to Quill it's Elaine Fetter. <laughs> and thanks to Sarah Plensdorf, he remembers that the pasty was eerily similar to Iris Cobb's. She and does then have he it. gets an idea. He has Hixie run an ad offering a ten thousand dollar reward for the return of the cookbook, which, thanks to Celia, he now knows is sitting in Elaine's kitchen. Mm-hmm. In the midst of preparing for the cheese tasting later that evening, Quill opens the fridge to feed the cats, and Coco jumps on the still defrosting turkey. <laughs> jumps on the turkey. Something is up, but Quill has to get dressed, and he can't think about he it too much. needs to
1: put on his black tie.
0: Exactly, which he finally has at the right location. He did not have to go <laughs> buy or rent any black tie have for to this go event. go back to the to the store. Oh, so fuck. something is up, but we we have to move on to the cheese tasting, which starts very well with Coco mingling and Yum Yum watching from the balconies, and then Coco has a cat fit, uh,
1: of course, smashing
0: a lamp, causing at least one guest to be drenched in fire in fire extinguisher foam. That's
1: okay. That's quite a leap from smashing a lamp. Yeah. To
0: <laughs> um, of course, you know multiple people are dropping their food, but the best part. Bushy is there and got it all on video. Oh, yes, yes! Everyone goes home after this finally. Coco is still fussing at the fridge, so Quill decides to just cook the dang turkey at 10 o'clock at night, because that sounds like a great idea. Um, oh, but turkey, he finds, for,
1: turkey for breakfast. There you go.
0: But he finds something very unusual in the cavity of the bird that has him calling Andrew Brody for a nightcap and, of course, extra cheese.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because <laughs> inside that now mostly defrosted bird is a gun. What? Likely the one used to kill the florist. Um, Birdie bags the whole bird and takes it to the crime
1: lab where he leaves. Takes the whole bird. Take,
0: well, yeah, well, yeah, you can't but touch my it. my breakfast. Coco is strangely not at all disturbed by the loss of the turkey. But Well, he has all the cheese tasting left over, so why would so he be So why started? would he, yeah. The next day, after that kind of late night discovery. Wow. Coco um, goes for a bike ride to kind of sort out his thoughts and gets a surprise when he returns. Celia has left him some meatloaf in the sea chest mm. and a bag from Lenspeak's department store, which contains... Iris Cobb's cookbook. Oh, finally. It's finally come back. Donald saw her reading it and when she visited last and insisted that she take it with her mm-hmm. since he knew his mother shouldn't have it. He was a little bit more um, expletive-laced about that, but which is selling something for these books. Uh, it took a few days for Celia to return it because she did what any good cook does. She copied down some of the recipes and then rec- recreated Iris's meatball, Meatloaf for Quill and which the Cats. Which
1: is legendarily Aww. fantastic. That's, it only oh. would
0: have been better if it was the macaroni and cheese.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the next call is, again, not so good. It's Aubrey, and he's still suicidal. Oh, jeez. Cool races back out to the Lindberger mansion and manages to convince him, Aubrey to come back to the barn with him, without his gun. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, he, uh, he has Aubrey introduce himself to the cats, and Coco yowls. By the way, that's the Brie clue. So, Lynn Fetter, Victor Greer,
1: and Aubrey. Aubrey. Yep.
0: Um, and with a little cat catly conniving and Celia's, Iris's meatloaf, the whole story comes out. <laughs> So here's what we know. Victor Greer was Aubrey's friend in the Navy and the one who saved him from drowning. When Victor got married, he came up with his new wife to fly fish and they stayed in Aubrey's cabin. Uh, Victor came up several more times, although his wife never did after that first visit. They got divorced, but Aubrey remembered her. And when he saw her at the Black Bear Cafe one night, he mentioned it to Vic the next time that they spoke. Yep. Onouche. Is Vic's ex-wife. Oh. Vic has Aubrey then pick him up at the Lockmaster Airport, and they drive to the hotel with Vic claiming he has a present for Anush for her birthday, which of course is the bomb. Mm. Vic heads back down below, but comes back a few weeks later and makes Aubrey drive him to Main Street during the Stable Row opening, where he kills the florist with a gun from the Limburger's gum cabinet. <sighs> then makes Aubrey hide the gun in a shipment of turkeys, which would have been flash frozen to go down below. Except that Nick grabs one to drop off for Quill, which just, of course, happens, happens to have to be the, the one, one with the gun, gun in it. And all this because Vic kept telling Aubrey that he, quote-unquote, owed him one. Mm. They were plan- He was planning to shoot Lenny at the bike race, but the night before, Vic got drunk, and when he went to sleep it off, Aubrey covered him with a heavy woolen blanket and left him in the cabin. It should be reminded, bees don't like wool. So and they attacked why. Vic in his sleep.
1: Uh. Wow. Later that
0: night... After this has been laid to Brody, and it's been made very clear that uh, that Aubrey's not going to stand any trial for this, um, he's an unwitting accomplice at best. Mm-hmm. Um, Quill gets a late night phone call from the night through the something's night desk, which another. That's, uh,
1: wow, yeah, that's definitely, yeah. especially in a small town.
0: Yep, but he, the late night phone call is from Monouche, who doesn't realize time differences because she's in Salt Lake City. <laughs> she announces to Quill. That now that Vic's gone, she's coming back to pickaxe and she's going to open a Mediterranean restaurant. Meatballs and little green kimonos for everyone. Yay! <laughs> and with that, the curtain falls.
1: The curtain falls, and wow, we had dinner, but I'm still hungry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Emergency cheese run? No, they.
1: they no, it, it'll wait till the weekend. It'll wait fine, till the weekend. We'll get some weekend We'll, it, we, we'll we, get some we'll weekend tr- cheese. We'll get some weekend cheese. It's Valentine's Day slash President's Day weekend coming up. Geez,
0: How uh, how else would you say I love you to your Valentine?
1: Uh, well, there's macarons in the freezer. True.
0: <laughs> All right. So, this book. I love this book.
1: I can uh, see I can see why this one has quite a bit of reviews and why it's so popular. Yeah. It's for a lot of reasons, I'm not going to get into.
0: We'll get into a lot of them. Um, so we have some newish faces in this book. Um, we've mentioned Lenny Inchpot, Lois' son. We mentioned briefly Jaywold Carmichael, who is the new president of the bank, and his young, flashy <laughs> wife, Danielle, who, by the way, was a nightclub entertainer back in Baltimore before she married money.
1: That's uh, um, I've, I've read that uh, that book before. Yeah. I've <laughs> seen that movie. And... <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, we'll, we'll get to them in the next book. Oh,
1: good.
0: Um, we've also got Jill Headley, who...
1: That's Headley. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hedley headley I don't know how to pronounce it but I'm, I'm guessing Hedley, Just saying, um,
1: yeah, it's Hedley who yeah. <laughs>
0: moved from Lockmaster to work for the something as a reporter she was introduced briefly in the last book but didn't make the plot cut she really wasn't that important <laughs> um, she wasn't hugely important in this book either but she got mentioned again so I figured I should mention that she's here in town um, and then of course we meet Sarah Plensdorf the office manager at the something and head of the Quillerin fan club not official um there's also a section that i've been noticing in the past couple of books which is a quill is admired because section somewhere around the first chapter which reminds the reader of quill's down to earth nature and of course that he's the richest man for miles around um earlier books has had something that's been a little bit better incorporated but this particular book has it like it's the babysitter's club where they remind you of the club and everyone's personality in the second chapter. Um, So there are also so many callbacks to earlier books in this. We have the Dimsdale men's gossip section, the proliferation of blue pickups. Um, Notable and and important for later is that uh, Carmichael and his wife have bought one of the Fitch houses, who were also bankers.
1: Mm -hmm. So now
0: we've got to see if they've got better luck than the Fitches.
1: (laughs) We shall um, see. We
0: also learned that sadly, the Hotspot is still in business somehow. Somehow, <laughs> um, and it's awarded as the dinner prize to the father of one of the auction dates. This is Jennifer Olson who took over Lady Macbeth from uh, Melinda Goodwinter, mm-hmm. um, and Fran laughs evilly because now Mister Olson has to has to. Uh, Eat the terrible food at the hotspot. And then Dr. <laughs> Diane, who's another uh, who's the landspeak's daughter, saying, Yeah, he'll be in the clinic first thing Monday morning complaining of hearing loss and indigestion.
1: Hearing wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um also while preparing for the black tie cheese tasting at the barn, and Quill and Hixie have a lovely little reminiscent moment about a cheese tasting down below at the Hotel Stilton and Hixie's de- H- hat was decorated with straw vegetables. That- and that's calling all the way
1: back to the cat who saw red. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, is, yeah, that is a very far callback.
0: Um, a bit of an annoyance. Um, Junior Goodwinter observes to Quill that Anoush left without checking out of the hotel. Yeah, because a bomb went off in her room and she's running from her stalker. Cut the woman some slack. <laughs>
1: I mean, she was a good tenant and all, but eh, just didn't pay her bill after a murder attempt with an explosive device. Yeah. So, three out of five stars.
0: What <laughs> exactly. The,
1: that, jeez. Yeah,
0: what the <laughs> hell? Um... So on Polly, who uh, who plays a smaller role in this book than uh, she has in previous ones, um, it's mentioned that her recovery is going really well. She likes living on Pleasant Street, but her sister-in-law is constantly there, um, anno- which is annoying and frustrating for her and Quill, who really just wants him alone time now that she's feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also, as a note, being flattered by the new college president, Dr. Prelegate, who has <laughs> sent her flowers. Mums, Mums. of
1: course. <laughs> um,
0: And Quill thinks that Dr. Prelegate might possibly be trying to talk her out of moving out of her old apartment, which is now on the college grounds, which is why he's trying to talk her into moving to Indian Village. (laughs) Um, She's also on a really strict diet per the hospital. So Quill sends a set of Sri Lankan masks as kitchen deities um, that he names as low-fat and low-salt.
1: Jeez. This is
0: culturally insensitive, wow. yes, but the spirit of the gift is sweet and the, really funny. The
1: spirit yeah. of the gift is sweet, but wow, wow, that's culturally low, insensitive. Low fat, low cheese. Jeez, yeah. that's long duck dong level of and, insensitivity. Yep. Exactly, jeez.
0: But it's still a sweet gift it's, to send to somebody on the diet. No, it's very it sweet. It just didn't need to. It didn't need to be named. It didn't need to be spe- <laughs> spe- specifically Sri Lankan. Um, anyway. Moving on to uh, to more to, to more things, um, we have Homer Tibbetts' flask of decaf coffee and brandy mentioned again. <laughs> and I'm really trying to decide now if Lillian Jackson Braun really did forget that she put the brandy in there, or if she's just decided that he's screwing with people and only claiming to have the brandy in his coffee. <laughs> Which I could totally see Homer doing.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a reason why he's 95. Maybe it's brandy and coffee. There you go. <laughs>
0: um I mentioned that the cheese book would not die, after being <laughs> left outside, buried at one point, and finally put in the plastic bucket for Mister Odell. Um, Quill has a wonderful moment where he imagines mailing the book to his former in-laws oh, in laws in New Jersey, Jeez. and I just love <laughs> that the way that it was written. It was just like this this wild moment of who's the worst person I know that I could
1: send this to? Well, My in laws. You can have this very smelly book here. Smell this. <laughs>
0: um, there is an. An oops moment for me. Um, <laughs> next, um, Bushy arrives to attempt to photograph the cats, and it fails. But he's looking at Quill's bookshelf, bookshelf, like he's never seen it before, which feels off for his normally observant character. I mean, it's literally like, gee, you've got a lot of plays there, Mister. Do you really read all this stuff?
1: So Bushy is really just brophy from High anxiety, I guess, isn't he? Boy, oh boy, I'm going to be, I'm going to be your best pal and your sidekick.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very out of character, very strange. <laughs> um but, you know as a reason to mention that quill has a lot of plays there's there's a theme running through this that doesn't quite fit the plot um because quill is reading the frogs mm-hmm. of aristophanes yeah the old, you know, the old uh, yes. Greek play with the old go wax go wax the cats like it um which is fun but it really has <laughs> nothing
1: to do with the plot um fun little scene who knows i don't know
0: yeah moving on there though i am if you haven't figured out i am with quill on the mums i don't find them to be attractive flowers at all and they're everywhere um though fortunately rarely in vintage burgundy aka the color of dried blood
1: it's also the smell gets to you too if i remember correctly no
0: actually what it is is the fact that any tightly petaled flower like 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 mums full-on chrysanthemums anything like that collect a lot of dust in their petals. So, okay. and they don't really have a particularly great smell, but what they do is have a lot of pollen and a lot of dust, and that irritates my allergies. So that's
1: not the smell. It's like you said, it's just the allergen.
0: Mm-hmm. And that is why I hate them. Speaking <laughs> of hatred, Quill writes a column about his hatred of turnips, and in response, someone sends him a giant unmarked package. Oh, no. Which is then reported to the bomb squad, <laughs> which attempts to diffuse it with a fire hose. And it turns out to be... The largest turnip ever grown in Moose County. Oh, Smashed to pieces by a fire hose.
1: Oh, God.
0: <laughs> there are so many signs of the times, though, in this book. Um, I've mentioned a few of them, but one that really st- stuck out to me um, is so many people are paying for their hotel stays in cash. Interesting. Nobody does that no,
1: anymore. No, you, you, know, you have to put a credit card on, and they yeah. will charge at, you know, one time, like $1 like one night charge of a exactly a stay or whatnot that they'll refund but yeah that's yeah
0: so that that's I, i'm
1: sure they probably also have keys as well i'm, I'm keys. sure yeah actual keys <laughs>
0: um you know plus answering machines but the night desk transferring phone calls to quill mm-hmm. um is really interesting well
1: the priority mail was another one too or the uh, yeah the express, overnight express, overnight, be, express the, the, the overnight
0: express it. mail um that would be delivered to uh, his place of work mm-hmm. um and then the The other thing about answering machines, um, there's a moment where he gets home, finds out there's a, finds a message from Sarah and has to immediately go back out. And all I could think of is back in the days of answering machine, how frustrating it was to get home, find out, there is something that you have to go do that you could have done while you were out but, but you didn't know it was there, there so you had to go back to, out
1: and well we didn't have a way to get a hold of you then, exactly so. exactly wow
0: so that's my thing about answering machines um <laughs> cats will be cats bushy attempts to photograph Coco and yum yum fails spectacularly again Um, Hilariously, Bootsy takes advantage of the floor-length tablecloths at the Pleasant Street house where Lynette lives um, and is ambushing Quillerland whenever possible. (laughs) So, you know, 20 pounds of cat hitting you right below the knees. Um,
1: Yeah, that will take your legs out from under you.
0: Yes. Um, Quill, the cheese basket that we mentioned, Quill brings home and is immediately commandeered by Yum Yum for naps. Until she gets oh. her head caught in one of the holes, which oh. causes Quill to have to break the basket oh, to feed no. her. Um, which, you know, it's just, of course there's a hole. A cat's going to stick his head through it. Right,
1: going to try it and think that it can get out. Exactly. Uh,
0: um, so no. poor. So it's a very scary scene for Yum Yum, but she's oh. fine. Um, per Lori Bamba, uh, Quill counts the Siamese whiskers and has Polly do the same for Bootsy. Normal <laughs> cats like Bootsy and Yum Yum apparently have 24 on each side, while Super Cat Coco has 30.
1: For a total of
0: 60 Whiskers. Wow.
1: Yep. Super cat indeed. Super cat indeed. Now, speaking of cats, uh, what would be your paw rating for this one?
0: I give this book four paws up.
1: This is our first four paws
0: book. It is, and this is my favorite book in the series for a reason. The mystery is well integrated. The town is the, the town is well established. The mystery is solved well, and even if the villain's death is by accident, it's still satisfying.
1: It's not driving into a car or getting Quill going to his usual drunk trick. It's, yes, yeah. It, it the, yeah, the, the unraveling of it is actually much more thought out.
0: Yes, and it's it's satisfying to have a full out unraveling, um, to have him die accidentally. And allow everything to be solved and things to move on and actually, what I would consider a very happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not we're not mourning someone's death. We're not because you know, again, not one of us. Um, right, not one and, of us. And, but and, it's- of course, evil.
1: Um, and it's also the person the, the person who you do have the most sympathy for it turns out just an unwilling lackey and yes. was not just brought into this against his will or cajoled into it. Exactly. So. Um,
0: you know again, when someone saves your life, you owe them one and that's that's been a running theme for people throughout these books. Um, so it's understandable that Aubrey would assume that that's how he has to respond to Vic uh, and that insistence. But knowing that Vic has been, um, you know, stalking Onouche mm-hmm. since their divorce and trying to kill her multiple times, oh yeah, um, it's it's kind of satisfying that he dies uh, in horrible pain uh, from bee stings.
1: Yes, no, I agree. And Onouche gets to live, and hey, she's opening up a Mediterranean restaurant.
0: Exactly.
1: And the the cheese thing was very clever. That w- it wasn't hit you over the head, obvious, but it does. Yeah,
0: it's it's a subtle help from Coco, mm-hmm. but it's. And it's one of the it's one of the first times where Coco's clues are actually followable by the reader right um, It's not you know you kind of had a little bit of that in the cat who knew a cardinal with the uh, with the Steve O'Hare and the bunny that quill kept and, and right, Putty right. that Coco kept the bunny that Coco kept knocking down from mm-hmm. the uh, from the typefacing thing. So you've got some idea of that. but this one, I mean it's very clear Greer, Greer, feta, fetter. Aubrey Bree. Mm-hmm. You know, the the connections are all there. It's it's just a really well-plotted book and I really enjoy it and it's fun to
1: reread. I can imagine. I would be curious to listen to the audiobook
0: version. Oh, of this definitely movie. do the audiobook because of all the of all of the voices, especially Aubrey's, mm-hmm. which I really think uh, that uh, Mr. Goodell really nails.
1: Wonderful. Definitely be checking that out then.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
1: Any other final thoughts on this our first four four-paw book? <laughs>
0: no not really i mean i think i i there's there's so much information that i've talked about with this all the food um and again the fact that this has really been formative in expanding my tastes Mm -hmm. um looking for cheeses that i never would have known to look for learning how to cook a turkey and it all comes back (laughs) to this book i i joke about how much i read these books as as a kid and a young adult uh well into adulthood and it's I'm realizing as I'm doing this reread exactly how much reading these books really developed things that I would go and try that I never would have tried before. Um, And it also doesn't hurt that they're responsible for 90% of my Shakespeare quotations.
1: (laughs) I think next time, though, we cook a turkey, we're always going to be looking in that cavity just for a (laughs) random gun. Yeah,
0: make sure that there's no surprises in there.
1: Um, Unless it's what you expect to see, the giblets and everything else. Exactly. Well... Thank Fantastic. you
0: so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Join us next time for The Cat Who Tailed a Thief. Ooh. I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry.
1: And I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing.
0: And stay nosy, my friends.